Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins from the Box and One podcast, and we're just bringing back the hits this week. All of the guests that are really uh, just contributing so much to the NBA draft space, and I don't know if there's anybody who has made a larger imprint over the last year or so than Nathan Grubel, my friend, drafted deeper himself. Nathan, good to have you back here on the podcast. Everyone wants to know, how you doing, my friend? Uh, it, it, Coach... It's an honor. You know, I consider it an honor every time you and I link up. We're, we're, we're two of the best doing it in the space right now. Don't leave yourself out of that conversation, man. Your work, your, your scouting videos, again, on YouTube, top-notch. Everything you do is must-see, must-read. So I'm honored to be here, but I'm doing well, and I'm excited for what we got cooking tonight. Yeah, look, Nathan and I have been doing uh, some home-and-home scheduling over the last That's few right. weeks where we, we try to get on each other's podcasts talk a lot about this upcoming NBA draft class. And it's hard to believe that we're about six weeks out right now. So the, the time is quickly getting away from us. And as we're approaching the, the final legs of things, I know we're less than a week away from the NBA draft combine, from the lottery itself, things are starting to pick up. And Nathan and I have our, our DMs always open, going back and forth, pinging each other with questions, confirming some things that we see or just debating with each other some areas that we disagree. And one of the topics that was pretty fascinating within our individual chat, we thought we'd bring forward to everybody here tonight. And that's the depth of this big man class. So what Nathan and I are going to do is dive into more of the late first slash second round prospects that are out there. But we can't get to that point without at least first acknowledging some of the top end big men in this draft. And, and when we talk about big men, I want to make sure that we, we set the parameters around Sure, it. this, this episode is going to specifically talk about guys who will most likely spend the majority of their career playing the five. If that's their optimal role, yep. a couple of guys who were not included in that are Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bencaro, Jabari Smith up at the top of the draft, because those guys are a little bit more versatile positionally. And quite frankly, you and I have already had a podcast about this. No, we, we, we've talked about the top guys enough. It's, we we got we to gotta live up to, as you would say, the moniker of my name, Draft Deeper. We got we to gotta go a little deep this time. We do. We do indeed. So let's start with the two top guys that typically get mentioned amongst the lottery. Yes. Among more, more big men at the five spot. And that's Jalen Duran from Memphis and, and Mark Williams from Duke. Nathan, I'm going to turn it over to you real quickly. Where are you at at both? Do you have both as lottery guys? What's your feel for them? And are they indeed one and two in that, you know, true five-man mold for you in this class? They, they are one and two. They are both lottery guys for me. The separation between those two is literally one player on my big board as it sits currently. And I haven't unveiled the latest and potentially final edition of my big board yet but I will say that that their one player is separating the two of them it is closer than I really thought it was going to be like I've I've done a massive 180 turn on Mark Williams like Mark Williams was a guy who I was looking like two 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 and a half months ago as a guy who I'd probably want to target like the late first round and I really rocketed him up my board and it's it's more so because of what he's been able to do and just how efficient he is and like I have I have Duran ranked higher between the two but if you had asked me today who I would feel safer drafting between the two I think my answer would be Mark Williams 
because sure. he just fits that mold. He's that Robert Williams, Daniel Gafford type of center who we know what he's going to be doing on the floor. But in order to play up to that role and come out at lottery level or close to lottery level value, you have to be hyper-efficient in what you do. Mark Williams is very hyper-efficient at what he does. And we could run through all the, all the numbers if you wanted to or not, but that's, that's the long and short of it. Duran has a higher upside because I think that he can do more things with the ball in his hands, yep. but more of that is also theoretical as well. Like we don't know if all that's going to translate and be there at its highest level when all is said and done, he could also end up being more of a version of what Mark Williams is going to be. And Mark Williams was just more efficient at doing that. albeit a tad bit older. So that would be my long-winded answer. No, it's it's pretty similar to where we're at. We have Duran uh, just inside the top 10 on our board and Williams just outside of it. So again, very few players that are yeah. separating the two of them. It's, it's experience and that known quantity that Williams brings yeah. versus the, the youth and upside of a guy like Duran. You know, he's two years younger and he got a lot better as the season went on. I think you said there are more things he can do with the ball in his hands. Totally agree with that. I also look at the circumstance in Memphis and think that he just wasn't used optimally because the Memphis Tigers didn't have a pick and roll point guard to really pair with him. So uh, look, there's a lot of great production stuff that you get out of Mark Williams shot 72% from the floor, led the NCAA in dunks, really good rim protector that cleaned up some messes from that Duke team yeah. and their perimeter defense. I think, again, both are lottery guys for the two of us. They yeah. stand out as the top two bigs in this draft class. I would have a tough time seeing, or at least at this point in time, I, I struggle to envision anyone drafting Williams over Duran, just because I think when you're drafting in the top 10, if you're taking a big guy, you're swinging for the fences more of the upside. But yeah. that doesn't mean that Williams isn't a late lottery talent and a really yeah. good surefire pick for a lot of teams in that 12 to 16 range that just need solid, dependable production that we, again, we know he provides. I agree that that's the answer. Are you, are you taking Duran over Williams though? Is there, so there's no uneasiness for you in doing it. Like not like you're, you're confident. Like, like I would agree with you. It's the right decision, but like you have utter confidence that that's the right move. Cause I just have a little uneasiness. It's, it's funny. I had a lot of it a year ago. So last April, I think what April of 2021, I went and saw Duran play AAU basketball for a whole weekend, was able to scout him live in person and came yep. away, not incredibly impressed. Now at that time, he was supposed to be one of the top bigs in the 2023 draft class. Yeah. Um, I was incredibly impressed by how much he improved this year at Memphis. And one of the things that I underrated about him is he may be a little bit smaller than traditional big men, but he plays the size of, of pretty much normal guys. I was a little bit hesitant about the size. I'm not anymore. I think he plays really big. He's springy off the floor. Great second jump, pretty strong body and frame. Uh, I, I do see a little bit of DeAndre Ayton-ish stuff there when I watch him. So uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in on Duran as a top 10 pick and, and, think that I'd clearly take him over Williams still. But yeah, I agree a hundred percent. There's those two guys are, I mean, they're, they're miles ahead of where I would start throwing other big men into the conversation that we're going to get into. It doesn't mean they're not draftable guys, but yeah, those are the two guys. Yep. Well, there's actually a third who seems to get mentioned in that middle to upper tier of the first round conversation. And 
It's a little bit out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people, but that's Ishmael Kamagate from Paris, you know, international big guy that a lot of the the people who are overseas and really tapped into that market seem to really like, like outplayed Victor Weminyama this year, who's the projected top pick and and unicorn that Oklahoma City and Sam Presti are going to do everything they can to get in the 2023 <laughs> draft like people seem to really like Kamagata. I'm, I'm curious how much have you watched on him and what do you see his draft range being in comparison to both the williams Duran lottery guys and then the rest of everybody else in this class he's in that batch of prospects and and i might as well just clarify that, that man you could put together any sort of combination of guys 25 to 60 for me right now and i'll be like yeah that makes sense um but he's He's in that batch. There are multiple people in those ceilings who absolutely love Kamagate, most notably my newer co-host at Draft Deeper, Steven Gillespie. He's a massive fan, and for good reason. He is a very intriguing talent. I have watched enough of him. The thing I love about him most is the face-up game. Like He has really nice touch on a mid-range jump shot. He can get to a floater every now and then, two feet in the paint. The touch, I think, overall is really nice to see. And then the shot blocking, the rim protection. I just, a lot of the other things that come with him, I feel like he's fairly raw. And I think if you're, if you're taking him in like that 20 to 30 range, you're confident that I think he's going to be able to produce quicker than I would project him to produce. For example, like I would have, I would have him as a second round talent right now. And that's not saying that I don't think he can be worth a first round selection. I just think, it might be a little further away from contributing at the NBA level than, than some other people might be projecting. That's just difference of opinion. Yep. No, I, I agree with that. So I, uh, I think he's a lot more raw than a lot of people give him kind of credit for within the draft space online. That said, I don't think, I, I think his raw tools that he has, and if you give him a year or two, he's going to be ahead of any other big in this class that we haven't mentioned already. That's, that's where I have him. And because of that, I would rather use a first round grade slash selection on him, develop him over that four year period and say, Hey, year three, year four, he's really what we're looking for, for a starting slash really high value role player, big. And, uh, and I don't think that that's worth punting to the second round. I would grab him in the twenties. But that's, again, he sits number three amongst those, more traditional big men on my board right now. Although I, I certainly understand like he is a lot more raw than a lot of the guys that we'll talk about for the rest of this podcast. He is, but he is by far the most intriguing because of some of the things that we mentioned. He's another one of these guys who finishes at a high percentage around the basket on top of the touch that I mentioned on top of the potential defensive versatility and the rim protection we know he has. And the fact that the dude just has Pogo six, um, yeah. and he just gets up off the ground and, and gets very high doing it. So yeah, absolutely intriguing mix of skills and talents is there you mentioned the 25 to, to 60 range being a crapshoot right now i 100 agree with you on that i was talking to a couple of guys this weekend and uh and actually listening to sam vicini and matt penny's podcast oh, shout out sam vicini right just to steal a line from him uh the best but they were talking and they fielded a question about how there seem to be 70 guys listed as having a late first round potential or being draftable in that range. Well, we know there's a lot of guys in the radar because how many guys got combine invites and then were able to accept. So we know there's a lot of guys in the radar. 
I think that this is going to be really wide open once you get yeah. to a certain spot in the later part of the first round. But I'm curious how many, like, where do you put that ledge? For me, I have a solid 23 that I say are guys that I think I would put as clear first round grades. Wouldn't want to take them in the, in the second. Like, I think that you have to try to uh, jump on that opportunity that could go to 24, 25 based on who stays and who withdraws from the draft. Yep. Uh, but right now, 23 is the number for me. Do you have a, a ledge in that? Segment? I got, I got 24. I have 24. Um, and it was 23. I came not to turn this into a conversation outside of the big men, but I came down pretty hard on Ty Ty Washington. But I feel like if I don't have him as like that 24th guy that I'm including in there, like I'm doing him at this service. So I will stop the gap at him. Like I don't have Kamigate in that grouping, for example. But as you said, you can absolutely justify taking him with, with the first round pick. I ha- I do have Kamigate in that grouping. And okay. uh, I actually just, I was at 22 until earlier today and added uh, Turquavion Smith from NC State into that. Yeah, grouping. he's in that grouping for me too, man. He yeah. is a wild talent. So, but uh, a, a lot of moving pieces. And I think that's what makes tonight's conversation so intriguing is once you get past maybe those three big men on a lot of consensus boards, or even if you don't have Kamigate that highly, uh, there's a lot of room in that 25 to 40 range to just go and grab the guy that a lot of NBA decision makers and teams are going to think fits exactly what they're looking for from the big man spot. So there's a lot of kind of pick your flavor to this, right? And what we're going to do is try to put six different guys in order here by the end of the night, six different guys that we can talk about and try to figure out what's my preference, what's your preference, and just open up the floor for debate so that other people can listen and and see where they, where they come down on things, right? Do they agree? Do they disagree? What is it that they value differently than we do? So six names, we'll discuss them all. We'll compare and contrast and go through everything. Uh, how do you feel about just going through all the six names first and then giving a quick do that. 30 second plug on each guy before we get into some of the debates and questions back and forth. And the, as I like to call it, the cross examination. Let's do it. Let's all do right. it. Let's go through the list. So uh, Walker Kessler from Auburn stands out as a dominant rim protector, uh, had a fantastic shot blocking season this year with the Tigers. One of the best in NCAA history, true seven footer, but he does have some flaws not the best in terms of his mobility, although he's better than a lot of guys at his size. His offensive impact, particularly away from the rim, leaves a little bit to be desired. Anything more uh, just that you would want to mention right off the bat on Kessler? No, I would agree with that sentiment. Um, Very theoretical in terms of the shooting. I think eventually it will come around for him, but if you don't believe in that, then you're not you're not going to value him highly, especially considering you want to see more from his at the rim numbers too. Yeah. As a big man, no doubt. Another one here is Isaiah Mobley. Uh, actually, the older brother, not the younger brother. Don't confuse that one, folks. He's the older brother of Evan Mobley in Cleveland. Uh, he's probably the most versatile piece that we'll talk about. He shoots yeah. it pretty well. He's switchable and can play perimeter on uh, perimeter defense. A very good passer, similar to his brother in a lot of ways, uh, but not an elite athlete. What Evan has with the Cavaliers right now is the springiness, this quick twitch athleticism and and a real fluidity to his game. Whereas I think Isaiah is a little bit more of a 
uh, a ground bound big, a lot of layups and scoop shots around the basket, not an above the rim finisher of all of the guys on here. He's probably the one that can play the four for his yes. NBA career. And that's where the versatility piece of this conversation will come in eventually is what do we value a guy who can do both or, you know, having somebody who's going to be really athletic and we can mold in that traditional sense. So anything more to add right off the top on Mobley? No, he is out of these six guys that we're going to talk about. I would say that he is the most skilled out of all of them. However, and, and this is the point, this might lead to some of the debate between you and I, I just, I've seen him in person. I've watched enough film on him for multiple years. He just, he never stands out to me in terms of being assertive and really when his team has needed him to do more, there have been multiple times where he's just fallen short of doing that. And I think that's why I think he's, he's much better suited to be a bench guy. Like he has starter upside because of his skill set and his versatility, but I think he's one of these guys that it wouldn't shock me if he's more of a bench guy throughout his career versus somebody like, I will leave the door open for somebody like Walker Kessler, for example, to be like a starting center in yep. the NBA. Yep. A very complimentary piece in every sense of the word. Yes. Uh, number three, Michael Foster from the G League Ignite, a guy that both you and I uh, kind of split, split. That's where this conversation came from. Right? Uh, that's Yeah, that's that's going to be the, the biggest one that we're yeah. differ on, I feel so. So uh, really productive season. With the G League Ignite, which again, and an 18-year-old playing in a professional league, that's got to count for something. Uh, he's a little bit undersized as a big man, but not necessarily skilled enough to be that full-time four because there are some questions about his shooting, about his quickness off the bounce, and how he guards laterally. This is that time to debate whether somebody is a tweener or if somebody is multi-positional. And I know we'll get there with both him and okay. Mobley a little bit. Anything you want to add right off the top here on Foster? Not off the top. We're, we're going to save the words on Foster for, for the debate. All right. Well, uh, I'm excited to go into the next couple of guys here because this transitions into a little bit more size. Uh, one of them, Travion Williams, who I actually believe of this grouping is the most skilled in how he plays. He has one go-to trait that can be considered elite. And I don't think anybody else in this grouping necessarily does. It's Travion Williams' passing ability. I actually think he's the best passer in this draft, but he really struggles on defense. He has not proven to have shooting range out to the three-point line. And so much of his usage at Purdue came in post-ups, which as we know is not, a, uh, not necessarily in vogue right now in the NBA game. So translatability, if he is not a very good defender, doesn't have versatility to either protect the rim or guard on the perimeter, and plays that outdated style, there are some questions about fit in the NBA. Anything you want to add right off the top here on Travion? No, we will We will also leave some of that for the debate as well, other than the fact that I agree with you about the offensive skill set between him and Mobley. I think where I would split the difference would be I trust Mobley in more ways defensively than I do Travion, obviously. So that's why I would split the difference in terms of saying that Mobley would be the most skilled versus the two, but if we're talking just offense, I think I would agree with you because the passing does give you an edge. Love it. Well, let's go to two more of the traditional screen and roll type of bigs in this class. Kofi Coburn from Illinois, an older guy uh, in terms of this draft class, tested the waters last year, decided to come back to school. I thought that was going to be a, a foolish decision. It actually turned out to, to be not too, not too bad for him. 
Uh, he improved his free throw shooting, which is something he really needed to do desperately. But he is monstrously strong, a very yeah. good athlete above the rim, but you know, lacks that versatility in his game. He's much more of a screen and roll big, drop coverage on the defensive end, just clean up the glass, finish everything near the basket. Anything else you want to add? No, we will we will talk about Kofi, I'm sure, in a second as well. All right. And last one is Christian Coloco from Arizona. There's a point in time when Coloco was talked about a lot as a fringe first-round prospect. I think those conversations have cooled a little bit. There are a lot of very nice pieces to his game from that traditional mold that we have seen from big men. He's athletic. He can be a good rim protector, efficient finisher around the basket. But every time I watch Coloco, I kind of feel like there's something left to be desired. And I don't necessarily love drafting big men, particularly in the later parts of the first round, if their hang their hat skill is going to be their motor and their energy. What's your thought on Coloco? I feel the same way. And I've had a lot of the same concerns. However, when you do look at some of the numbers, which we may get into, we may not, but he does, he's another one of these guys who does finish really well around the basket, given what he does. More of a post-up guy than necessarily like a play finisher in a sense, which that does concern me a little bit offensively. But defensively, I think he provides the second best rim protection on this list. And there was a statistical split that I saw, and we were actually talking about the no stills group where anybody else on Arizona protecting the rim versus Coloco, when people were going up against Coloco when he was protecting the rim, we're talking about a 10-point um, field goal percentage swing, the difference. And that's a significant number. He does do that at a very strong level, similar to Walker Kessler. So because of his rebounding, because of the motor that you mentioned, because of the rim protection, I'm going to give him an edge in this conversation, especially given his size. So I'm probably going to value him higher than, than you do. Fair enough. Well, I think cross-examination is the right way to phrase a lot of this. Let's right? do it. We have so many questions that we could lob back at each other about these guys, about how they compare and stack up, about what we value. So what, I just want to start and, and lob the first one off to you. Is there anyone on this list that we talked about here? Walker Kessler, Isaiah Mobley, Michael Foster, Kofi Coburn, Travion Williams, Christian Coloco. Any of those guys receive what you would call a first round grade of being in that top 23 or 24 on your list? No, no, not at all. Unfortunately. None for me either. Yep. <laughs> None for me either. And, and the reason I want to bring that up is because I think there's a lot of conversation around Walker Kessler as being in that range. He was there for me at one point. He was there for me. I think it's more so what a lot of other guys have done. And then when you go back and you really break down the value that they provide, there's, I I've been, I've been talking about this a lot and I don't know if you'll, you'll agree with me or disagree or kind of sit somewhere in the middle, but there's like these different classifications of big men in terms of these drop coverage bigs who are much better suited to play defense around the basket. There are, these switchable bigs who are much more comfortable coming out to somebody, but may not offer the same level of rim protection. And then there's these very unique guys who can do a combination of both to a good enough level or can do both really well. And that's, I think what's really separates the two guys that we have at the top versus a lot of these guys and Kamagate Kamagate. I'm glad that you mentioned him as the third big, because even though I think I would still prefer taking Walker Kessler today over Kamagate, Kamagate could be one of those guys that could also 
float enough in that C block, right? That mix of both of those. And that's really what we want to talk about with a lot of these big men. And Walker Kessler spent some time guarding the perimeter this year. He would occasionally he switch out for uh, such a dominant rim protector in college. Bruce Pearl was not shy about hard hedging screens, switching occasionally, having him navigate on the perimeter. And there's enough good film out there to suggest that if you needed to switch for a small circumstance at time, you could do it with him. He moves his feet decently well. He does a really good job of staying vertical while moving his yes. feet. And that allows his length to make up for what he doesn't necessarily have in terms of quickness. But I also see a guy who is a little bit jumpy, who has that instinct of, I want to block shots on the perimeter of, hey, that's a pump fake. I'm going to try to go and get that one. And he gets knocked off balance as a result. That's of that. what screws him. Yep. He's for as good of a shot blocker as he is. He can be a little foul prone and he can bite and make some boneheaded plays once he navigates outside of that eight foot range. And yeah. I don't see, I'll, I'll be honest, Kessler is lower down on my list than a lot of people on here. I don't think I'm going to end up having him as a top 45 prospect. And the biggest reason for that is because I don't buy into a lot of the offensive stuff. Which is that that's fair because that's what holds me back as well. Like if you're going to be one of these guys you need to be able to finish at least your two point shots. You need to be able to finish those at a high enough level. And he, he just is not that coordinated of a post-up guy. He's not this, I'm going to go launch myself into the air and go catch a lob. Like that's not what he's, he's a below the rim play finisher in a lot of different senses of that, but he doesn't even do that at an elite level. Like some of the other bigs in this class that we could talk about. We've just seen it time and time again, if you aren't doing that in the NBA, and you don't provide the defensive versatility of group C that I wanted to talk about, you're just not going to get the same opportunities. Yep. So I, I 100% do not buy the shot long-term for Walker Kessler right now. I think that he's patient off the floor, but not quick off the floor, particularly in traffic. And I, I think that he's going to struggle to score against NBA level physicality on the interior. So because I'm out on a lot of those offensive concerns, he would have to be so good and reliable and polished defensively in order for me to say, this is a guy that I would draft with the intention of being somebody that plays more than 15 minutes a game. And I just, I, I have a difficult time getting there with some of the jumpiness with some of the habits that he has defensively ton of raw upside at, at his size. I think yep. the increased pace and athleticism that surrounds him on the floor diminishes some of his impact. And, uh, and I'm just, I, I'm not there. I can't explain it in any other way than that. I'm just not there. All the concerns that you lay out are 100% valid. I think the main difference that you and I are going to split at this point would be that, like I said, I do buy the jumper eventually working itself out. If it does, we're looking at a different version of like what Brooke Lopez has been for the Milwaukee Bucks, which yep. can be a very useful big man. But the jump shot has to come around for him to live up to that billing. And if it doesn't, then yeah, he falls in that camp where, where you would have him. And, and we're talking, I have Kessler, I think like 38 on my board. So I'm not even that far off from potentially putting him in the same territory that you are. So okay. fair enough. Well, that leads me to my first cross-examination question here then. So oh boy, it, I think we both agree that Isaiah Mobley is the best shooting big on yes. this list. 
who is number two? Again, I'll just to rehash the names for everybody else on here. Walker Kessler, Travion Williams, Kofi Coburn, Christian Coloco, Michael Foster. Who would be the second guy that you would say, I would bet money that he adds a jump shot in his career? Uh, see, I think, I think the numbers would want me to say Travion Williams. Okay. I'm not going to say Travion Williams. I'm going to say Michael Foster. And that's, he, he's really the divisive guy on this list. And I understand that there are reservations with his game. I acknowledge the reservations in his game. However, this is one of these guys. I've, I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of these guys with close and personal. Foster's one of those guys. I got to see him in his pregame work routine. I got to see him working out. And then I got to see him in a G League game showing everything that he has in his bag. I do buy the jump shot. I buy the pull-up jump shot. I buy the free throw line jump shot. I buy the open catch-and-shoot three-point from the top of the arc. I I buy a lot of the shooting stuff with him, and I buy so much of his offensive game overall. And I obviously, I buy into a lot more of it than, than you do yep. because you and I would agree on every single nitpick we could possibly have defensively. And every single thing you want to say about him being a tweener in the worst way on the defensive end, I'm not going to disagree with you with any of that. And I wrote all of that in the piece that I did um, on Michael Foster for, for no sins. And I thought all of that criticism was 100% fair, but offensively I buy in the open shooting for multiple spots on the floor. I buy the, the vertical spacing that he provides the transition threat that he is the role threat that he is. The passing isn't the greatest. I think it can get a little better, but it's not never going to be a strength of his. Yeah. Um, the the thing that that concerns me the most on the offensive end, besides just some of the inconsistent numbers, were he rebounds the ball effectively, but catching passes and trying to kind of make that move with the ball in his hands after he catches a turn, tries to go to the basket, he fumbles the ball a little bit too much for my liking. And that the hands in that front, they're, they're not great. And like, those are turnovers that need to be cleaned up or else the, those, those are the types of boneheaded turnovers that coaches, they lose their minds over. Yes, that, we that do. You're just, yeah. Yeah. They're like, really? So you're going to go up and you're going to sky for all these rebounds. You're going to bring the ball down. You're not going to lose it, but you can't even make one dribble off of a turn quick finish play at the basket. Like what are we doing here? Um, so those are some of the things. And, and Michael Foss is one of those guys. He can drive me nuts on, on his worst nights, but Raw talent, and this is a guy, again, we're talking like 45 and, and, and out. I, I, would, I would love to see what he has for, for an organization. He's one of these guys, I see the offensive upside. I've given out the Jermichael Green comparison a lot with him. Jermichael Green is a guy, I love him as a role player for an NBA team. He even had some starter shine in Memphis. I think Michael Foster can be a very similar type of player. And that's why I think I value him a little higher in this conversation than, than you would. I have him as my third big on the list. Yeah. So you're third big on the list, but the second best shooter of this group, which Sec second best shooter of this group. Yeah. And, and I, I think that there's a lot of different interesting points that come from there. One is that it's not Walker Kessler, right? Which Correct. I think goes to show like, there should be some more hesitance about what he provides uh, if you're not going to buy into the, the shooting completely. And if we're talking about guys that are in that 45 or later range, 
that we may buy more in that regard. I think Kessler creeps lower and lower to joining them close to that territory. Um, you know, quickly on Foster from my end, again, the defensive stuff worries me. Yep. I don't know how I buy into the shot because I see a lot of upside to it, but he also has that catapult overhead release that if he's going to be an undersized big, like, does that worry you at all? I tend to lean no because bigs are the, the position players on the floor who have the most uh, open space to get their shots off when they are shooting from three. But the feel, the shot selection, um, it's not all there for me. I think he has a lot of the tools and the potential to be a good pick and pop big, a really good pick and roll big who finishes at the, at the rim and a solid short roll passer. But he hasn't consistently proven that he can put all of that together in a yeah. smart way. And uh, with all the defensive concerns, I would need to feel really, really strongly about him on the offensive end in order to, to get there. And I'm, I'm, I'm just not there. Um, the, Which is fine. He's, yeah. he's a project. Like there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like I think that he, just in terms of raw talent, when you match his athleticism that he brings, not like his, his tallness, like his size, but his athleticism and his pop combined mm -hmm. with the offensive, the raw upside. I think that his talent would suggest that he could go closer to the first round than back end of the second round. But it's all those other little things that you talked about, why he's a project and why that's not going to be his range. And he's super bouncy for somebody his size. Absolutely. I really, I think that there's something to be said for guys who can cover a lot of ground as a finisher without taking a dribble. And Foster can really do that, even though he's, He's not going to be the, I think he's the smallest guy on this list that we're talking about, but he may cover the most ground going from a catch and finish standpoint. I think Coburn may have him beat a little bit in that regard. Uh, but those, those two guys, I mean, for somebody, his size, he's, he's pretty athletic. And I think that with his strength, he can guard up and he can play the five, but I don't see versatility to where he can be the four, right? That's just, where, that's just where the that last point, point that I wanted to say just about in terms of like, can you draft? like a Michael Foster, like let's also just remind the audience and don't let them forget that he did average around 14, eight two in the G league. Like this guy was productive. And at times he was there certain stretches over the course of that ignite season. He was their most consistent player out of all the guys that they had um, on, on the roster. Now Dyson Daniels really came around second half of the year, incredibly strong. That's why he has skyrocketed upwards. Um, Jane Hardy, we talked about him on prior episodes. He made improvements during the second half of the year, showcasing some stuff. And then Beauchamp, he's still a guy that I like. But there were stretches in the season where, like, Michael Foster would be producing when some of these other guys weren't producing. So it's not like he was with that Ignite team and he just played like other poop. You know what I mean? Like, he had a good season for somebody his age in a pro league. Yep, he, he did. He did. And I, th for the record, I think he goes top 40. But – I don't, okay. think, I don't think I would take him top 40. If that's I a proclamation, I don't know if I can come around on that's, that's bold. I, I wouldn't have a problem with him going top 40. I don't know if he is going to buy into being bought into top 40, but I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I have a feeling he does. I can't pinpoint anything where that is other than production and a lot of NBA teams pointing to success with a, a professional league as being worth betting on. But I, uh, yeah, he's he's a little bit lower on the list for me. He's actually last of all the six bigs that we talk about here. So um, take that for what it's worth. But 
I do want to throw something out there with a, a 21-year-old big man on this list who does have a little bit of touch yes. and does have a great deal of skill. I put a tweet out earlier today as we're recording this on Thursday, May 12th, uh, talking about five different players who I thought are just a jumper away from being really dynamic offensive players. And there's no guy who stands out greater to me in that list than Travion Williams from Purdue, because he is such a wizard of a passer that if he can become a consistent pick and pop threat or a guy who can drill above the break threes, he gives you a legitimate offensive hub to run everything through. What we have seen time and time again is as the NBA continues to stay with drop coverage for half, if not more, of the teams that are, are you know playing in the league, that having a big man that can suck them away from the paint and be that damned if you do, damned if you don't piece, right? If you don't guard me out here, I'm going to drill shots. I'm going to pick you apart by just passing to cutters all around me, or you're going to come out and guard me, and the lane is now going to be open for everybody else to slip and cut to the basket and score on you. I think Travion Williams fits the mold of being one of those guys, and I really don't think his jumper is that far away from getting there. It's not there right now. He's not a very good shooter in a lot of different ways. Um, but again, he shot 36% from three. Like percentage-wise, he wasn't terrible this year at Purdue. I just, I really believe that if the jump shot becomes consistent on volume, he ends up being so skilled offensively and so impactful that it takes a, it negates any worries that I would have about him on defense. I think you can find ways to hide him a little bit more and just say, this is a guy that's going to explode our offense and be so incredibly productive to the point where I actually have Travion Williams, brace yourself, as a top 30 guy. I said I was, brace yourself, I know. I was trending that way at one point in time. Um, so what happened? I, I want to ask you a question about his offense, and it comes back to how he was used on offense. So, listen, I'm not going to be this amazing computer and, and split out, uh, spit out a bunch of splits at you, but I can tell you in terms of post-ups versus everything else, the number is a lot to a little. 252 total possessions in post-ups. Not – not terrible scoring in those play types, 61st percentile. But given how he was used, how almost exclusively at times he was used in the post, and this it wasn't just that that number gives me a little bit of cause to pause, but it was also watching some of the tape, watching some games where I would look at him in some of those situations. And that touch that I saw in the first half of the year, like being at the Rutgers game, for example, where it seemed like he literally couldn't miss out of the post every single time he turned around went to a hook it went in there were also some games that I saw where that touch literally was not there for him for like entire games and that concerns me do you think the passing and, and I would agree with you that's that's his best skill is is the passing and it's it's an outlier skill that's better than any other one skill I think that we can point to with a lot of these other guys outside of I think Kessler's shot blocking when somebody goes into him in a one-on-one -on -one situation. I think that's probably the other call out that I would make on this list in terms of special skills. 
Um, but offensively, yeah, nobody comes close to the Travion Williams passing. But do you think it's that good to the point where teams are just going to throw the ball in the post and other teams won't be able to game plan to take that away from him and put him in a tough spot if he's not being able to score out of those situations? Like, do you think it's special enough to get him out of that and, and teams will still look to go to him in the post? So hidden within my answer is kind of a critique of synergies. Um, oh, let's do it. Let's play go. systems and, and play logging database. So a lot of what you find in terms of categories and percentages of usage are about where guys go to finish plays, right? Where are they getting yeah. their shots from? And there are only two categories where assists and passing really get logged. And that's pick and roll and post-ups. Yep. Uh, isolations to a certain extent, but there are not a lot of high level creators out of isolation. That just doesn't really happen. So if you are a facilitator at the top of the key in yeah. a delay action, like think Nikola Jokic with the Denver Nuggets, yep. and there are simultaneous flare screens and slips and dives to the basket around him, two players on each side of the floor, and you get to stand atop of the key, pick people apart and reverse the ball to cutters or shooters that doesn't log up as any play usage on Travion Williams's synergy page. He'll get credit for an assist, but that doesn't show up as, Hey, he was utilized out of this spot at greater percentage of the time. Purdue last year was 14th in the nation in terms of their efficiency scoring off cuts. They, they finished 74% of them. Williams is by far, the leading assist getter to create that. Yep. And again, a lot of that comes out of the post up, yep. but I think that there's an underrated part of this, which the metrics on synergy don't account for is how many of those came from him facilitating at the top of the key. And I think that there's a ton of value in the NBA game to being really good there to the point where even if the post up diminishes a little bit, he's still going to be able to be a fantastic passer in functional ways on an NBA floor. Now, I think there's also room for him to be utilized as a facilitator out of the post, because if we talk about how the post-up has evolved in the NBA, it's not that it's completely eradicated. It's just that it's not a place where you throw the ball into bang for three or four dribbles and then try to get to your righty hook shot. This is a spot where as the golden state warriors have done for much of the last decade, you throw the ball in, you have your cutters and your main scorers curl around different actions run that split cut at the elbow and trust that you can have somebody in there who's a good enough passer to find those guys and a good enough scorer where if nobody helps onto the block, he can just go ahead and score one-on-one. -on -one. The reason why I'm so high on Williams is that he fits perfectly into either mold offensively, which means that the way the game is played right now, all 32 te 30 teams can use him in some regard. Some can use him in both spots, but more than anything, Jaden Ivey is a legitimate top five prospect in this year's draft. Yep. And it screams out sleeper value to me that Matt Painter, as good of a coach as he is at Purdue, continued to throw the ball into Travion Williams possession after possession after possession to try to create, even when they had this pick and roll fantastic player on the floor. It didn't drive you nuts at all. 
it drove it, me, it, <laughs> as a guy who's trying to evaluate Jaden Ivey, it drove me insane okay. in a lot of ways. But as I've watched more Purdue film and I've stepped back to think about this from Painter's perspective, the thing that I'm left to really hang my hat on is, man, Travion Williams has to be a really valuable piece to try to play through. It's going to morph on an NBA floor away from the post up and more towards the top of the key area. But I do think he can be a legitimate offensive hub for some team. And if the jumper comes around. Doesn't the jumper have to come around though, to be the most valuable in those situations. Doesn't the threat of that jumper kind of have to be there a little more so than it is right now. I agree. It's not, it's not terribly far away, but I think, yeah, it has to be there. Okay. Yeah, it, it does have to, or let me put it this way. It does have to be there in order to make up for some of the defensive deficiencies. He, he got better this last year at Purdue in terms of moving his feet on the perimeter and guarding guys, but he's not a great drop coverage big, and he's not quick enough to switch on NBA athletes. Like he's just, he's going to have his work cut out for him on the defensive end, but I am buying into the let's lean into offense camp. There's so much that he does well on that end of the floor. I want to try to at least see what we can do. If he could develop the jump shot, I really, I really think that he can be a high quality offensive piece. I think the last part of that and talking about some of the defensive stuff too, is this, this, he does have to stay in shape. This is a guy we, we, we got to make sure that he stays physically fit because there's also parts of when I watch him that scream out a little bit of Caleb Swan again to me. Um, and, and, and so in some regards, that would be an unfair thing to say, but it's something that stands out to me too. I think that is something you have to monitor. And if it's something that he does, if he's in the same shape that he was in in Purdue this year, then that's not a problem. But I do think that is something at least worth a call out to, to monitor. Sure. No. Um, I've asked enough questions of you throughout this period, the cross-examination, <laughs> right? The, the witness is still on the stand, but the defense rests. Nathan, let's uh, let's see you throw a question at me here about any of these other guys or, or continuing to compare and contrast some guys maybe we've talked about with those that we haven't. Why Kofi Coburn over Christian Coloco? That would be a conversation that that I mean a question that I would have and a conversation to have because I have I've talked to people who are much more experienced in doing this than I am, who are much smarter than I am, and they have told me to value what Kofi Coburn can be for an NBA team that even though a lot of the stuff that we would want for more of a quote-unquote modern day big isn't there that what he still provides is something that an NBA team is always going to want to have on their roster and that is an argument for drafting someone like that over some of these other guys that we could talk about that's something that I've had thrown at me I don't know if you kind of fall in the same camp with one to compare the two but I would actually value Christian Coloco a little more than Kofi Coburn, just because I kind of trust Coloco a little more from an athletic standpoint, from a staying in shape standpoint, from a being able to play more minutes on an NBA floor standpoint. And just because Kofi could in certain areas be more hyper-effective for in shorter spurts than a Christian Coloco, I trust what Coloco is going to give me over a longer period of time a little more than what Kofi Coburn's going to give me. So I don't know what parts of anything I said you agree or disagree with and why you have Kofi over Coloco, but that was that was the one thing that probably stood out to me the most, even more so than you having Travion number one on the list. Yeah, so Tra- again, Travion is number one out of all these other guys on my list where I put him as a top 30 guy. And 
would probably swing on him in the late part of the first round with the right team fit. I do have Kofi Coburn ahead of Christian Coloco. And this is an exercise in draft philosophy and risk aversion more than it is anything else. When we let off this podcast, we talked about the differences between Jalen Duran and Mark Williams, right? Where Williams is more of the proven commodity, but he's also a little bit older. So less in theory, untapped upside, much more of a direct translation of what we've seen in college to his role in the NBA. In the lottery, in the earlier parts of the first round, I think you value the upside because if somebody has upside to be one of those top 15 picks in the draft, it probably means that that upside is is pretty tantalizing. Sure. Uh, I do not feel the same way in the second round. I would rather bat 250 and just find ways to get guys on base than try to swing for the fences. Uh, I don't have Christian Coloco as a first round talent. And because of that, the value of what he brings being a little bit younger, uncertain type of guy drops below the more certain, more dependable. I've seen this for a couple of years at Illinois and believe that it directly translates to the NBA thing that we get out of Kofi Coburn. So this is as much about risk aversion than anything else, right? I, I think that Coloco definitely has a higher ceiling than Coburn. But if I'm on the clock, and these are both guys that are outside my top 50, right? Sure. So if we're talking about the final spots here in the second round or a, a really priority two-way guy, I would rather have somebody that says, hey, he's just going to be able to come in and play a really solid 12 to 18 minutes and be a dependable drop coverage big, finish everything at the rim. He's improved as a free throw shooter. I value that more than the time that's needed to invest in a big guy, because let's say that Coloco hits by the time he gets there, it's probably year three in his NBA career. About three or four for the majority of NBA bigs. Yeah. Yep. And this is a second round pick that you're spending on a guy, which means that he's going to be up for new money as soon as he's ready to play one of those things that I always try to factor in throughout this conversation, am I actually reaping the benefits of this guy on his rookie deal or is it going to absolutely be afterwards? And because of that, I tend to be a little bit more out on developmental project bigs who are going to be in the second round. That's just, that's not an area that I tend to want to swing on. I'd swing more on shooters, on athletes, on guys that have a tremendous amount of upside to score the basketball. Um, And if I'm looking for a big in the second round, I'm going for either dependability or a rare, unique niche that you can't find uh, a ton, like a a pick and pop five, for example. So uh, Coburn ends up being a little bit higher than Coloco for me in that regard, just because of risk aversion and and how I attack the draft. So do you need to draft Kofi Coburn? Do you need to draft him? Because that honestly, that's the other thing that really holds Mm -hmm. me back. Like I listen but God bless Kofi Coburn's heart. I got a top 80 in front of me. I don't have Kofi in that top 80. Interesting. And that's, that's only because it's not that I wouldn't want Kofi Coburn on my team. It's it's because I feel confident that I don't, I, I really don't think he's going to be drafted. And I don't know if I would want to use that capital to draft him. And to be honest, we, there's, there's certain politics we get into in the second round. Once you get past pick 45, there's, all the politics that come into play and like 
Is he even going to be a guy who's going to want a draft pick used on him anyways? Would you rather just go into negotiations at that point for the two? There's all the politics that that get into it too. So it's like, that's why I don't have him as a part of that group. Um, I, I see your argument though, 100% in terms of why you would value Kofi on your team over Coloco, but do you need to draft Kofi Coburn? I guess would be the question. Yeah. I don't know if you need to draft him, but uh, again, I, okay. I also don't think you need to draft Coloco. Like I don't, which is want, fine. Yeah. I just, I don't want to go after a rim protecting basket bound big man in the second round. That's going to be my third string big for a couple of years. And I have to invest so much in developing when those are the guys that tend to be a little bit more dime a dozen, like either they're really elite at something, which I don't think Coloco is. I think he's good at a lot of things, but he's not elite at one thing. I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Where, where did you say you had him on your board? I have him at 55 right now. I got him at 50. So we're in the same, we're in the same range. And I think that that would probably what you and I just said would probably shock more people. I think than than people would agree with us, but I think it's, we're attacking it from a similar angle in terms of philosophy. Like there are a bunch of guys that I have ahead of him who I would just rather um, take a swing on with draft capital at this point than what Coloco is right now, um, or even Foster to an extent. I have Michael Foster ranked behind Christian Coloco as for as much as I wanted to praise him. I have Foster sitting at 54 right here. So, and I have Isaiah Mobley not too far back from those two guys at, at 63. So when I talk about like similar ranges, like this is, this is quite literally what we're talking about. It's honestly just a preference. And do I see any sort of starter outcomes for these guys? I think Coloco is like, I'm talking just at the edge of that conversation. I think he's probably more likely to be a bench big, but is there a world where I possibly see that outcome for him? I think the answer is yes. That's why I would have him as like a top 50 guy versus getting back to the range where I have Isaiah Mobley at 63. And that could be a disagreement for some people, but he's in that conversation to be draftable for me. I just, I don't know. There's, there's just something about it. It just doesn't do it for me, man. Like I've watched enough of his film and he just never, I acknowledge all the things that he does, like we talked about, but there are just certain parts of his game that just don't pop to me. Like, do you kind of, sit in the same camp but you just want to acknowledge the skills so that's why you would probably have him higher like where where does your isaiah isaiah mobley evaluation kind of sit for you yeah so i think setting the table here first you're right on that we're talking about marginal differences in terms of the rankings and how we put our board together that's why we're having this discussion absolutely i I had travion as a top 30 guy i know i'm an outlier in that regard in a lot of ways but from everyone else two through six in this discussion of these big men, I think there's 10 or 12 selections on my big board separating them. Exactly. So it, it, yeah. it is close in a lot of these ways. It's just how have we sat down and thought about the differentiation between any of them? Mobley is a fascinating one to me because yes. of all of the guys on here, I think I agree with you. He is the least assertive, he's the one that can disappear the most and the one that can easily get lost in the shuffle of an NBA roster. He's also by far the most versatile. And in today's game, I think that counts for something. Uh, Versatility, size, and feel tend to be three things that we look for and value a lot in bigger wings, right? Like if you can find anybody that's 6'6 or bigger, has a really good feel, 
can play or defend multiple positions and is a solid shooter, like you've got a lot to work with there. And Mobley checks those boxes in theory, right? He's, he's, he's got good feel. He's a solid shooter and, and can be a pick and pop or just a spot up in the corners type of guy. I really think that there's some rebound and run potential to him, which nobody else on this list seems to have. And the versatility of being able to play a little bit of both the four and the five stands out to me. But I, I watched the NCAA tournament games and I saw Mobley really help keep USC around as best he could in that Miami game where they're all of a sudden he'll just whip out that I'm going to go shot for shot with somebody and just have an impressive stretch during a game. Like, Oh, it will will be very infrequent, but all of a sudden it will come out of nowhere. And and here's, here's where I give Mobley a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. He had pretty atrocious guard play at USC. And I, I think that as a, a guy who you're not a Drew Peterson fan. I'm not, um, (laughs) I'm not, um, like that Miami game in the NCAA tournament where, you know, it was McGusty and Wong and Moore who were three really good college guards. They destroyed USC's backcourt. Like they couldn't do anything on either end, either to stop Miami or to just dribble the ball across half court. And Mobley had to come in and run point forward and do it all and, and kind of create. And while I do want to criticize some of the times he disappears from game action, I actually saw him step up in that period in an NCAA tournament game when their season was on the line to the point where I've backed off of some of those similar critiques. And I just think, Hey, he checks a lot of the boxes we typically look for, for front court guys who have versatility, feel and shooting ability. I don't want to overthink it and nitpick the game too much. He's still a, a prospect that has room to grow in a lot of different areas, but I tend to value that versatility over somebody who I don't think is going to be a starting caliber uh, rim bound big man. And quite frankly, none of these other guys on this list are guys that I would give starter upside to. I have a question for you. This is, this is a weird one. I want you to stay with me though, because okay. if the answer is, if the answer ends up being yes to this question and we sell ourselves on it, then this could really move Isaiah Mobley up my board. Okay. Um, is there a world in which Isaiah Mobley ends up being similarly used and similarly productive to like a Kyle Anderson type of player in the NBA? Is there a world where an NBA team's asking Isaiah Mobley to do a lot of the same things and he's able to do them? And that's the type of like bench player that we're looking at in terms of productivity. Interesting. Interesting. You wouldn't look at their two games. You wouldn't look at the two of them and be like, these are similar players, but you break down what Kyle Anderson has actually been asked to do a lot of for Memphis over the last two years. And you look at what Isaiah Mobley could possibly do. And I'm just like, so I'm just literally just like sitting here thinking about this as we're doing the podcast. And I'm yeah. like, this is really interesting. Uh, I'm going to give you my retort, which yeah. it's a little different. Um, and I, I'm breaking my card. I, I have this cardinal rule not to do player comparisons and I break it every damn podcast. So it's probably worth throwing out the rule. It's not a direct comp though. We're, I'm more talking <laughs> like role skill, what they're yeah. being asked to do. I, I would see more Al Horford-ish. Okay. Um, more four slash five, but the defensive versatility to guard different guys, to play in different schemes, 
and the skill level to be a guy that you can run offensive sets and plays through and trust that he's going to find the right guy. Let's see. That's, that's, that's an answer still along the lines of what I thought you might say, which yep. in which case would point us toward this guy's got to move up the board a little bit. Cause like that's an important toolsy player that NBA teams are always looking to have on the bench. Maybe not a starter, Right. But if you can bring that guy off the bench, that's that's valuable and that's worth using a second round pick on. And that's that is exactly the fulcrum of the conversation as far as I'm concerned. Is, oh man. See, look at this. You're already yeah. you're, oh my God. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're gonna move up Isaiah Mobley. We're gonna Travion is the one guy that I think has any of that first round value because one skill that's not terribly far away, the jump shot. If it develops he's got a lethal offensive package beyond that. This is all role players. This is all yep. bench guys that can come in and fill specific need. I value the versatility of the role that Mobley would fill at his ideal and how much harder it is to replace that than a rim protecting big. I have that above a Kessler, a Coburn, a Coloco, and then foster kind of at the bottom of that list for me, just because I'm not really sure what to make of the mix of production versus positionality. And sure. as Mark Cuban would say, for those reasons, I'm out. Sure. You're, I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're taking a swing on him. Definitely more, more so than a lot of these other guys. That's wow. That's fascinating. That is you're, you're, you're changing my life here on the box and one podcast coach. This is what, this is, this is what we want to set out and do when we sit down and do this. All right, so let's recap our top nine guys that we had on here. For me, yes. Duran one, Williams two, Kamagate three. Then we yep. get to the group of six guys here. Travion Williams four, Isaiah Mobley five, with a big gap between those two. Isaiah Mobley five, Walker Kessler six, Kofi Coburn seven, Christian Coloco eight, and Michael Foster nine. Nathan, give us your order of nine. Do I get to revise my list now that I just had my mind absolutely blown during our discussion? Nothing is set in stone, my friend. You go for it. That That is true. Nothing set in stone until draft day, baby. Um, so same order at the top three with you. So Duran, Williams, Kamigate. I'm going to keep Kessler as the top guy still okay. on this list. I'm going to leapfrog Mobley in front of those other guys. So I'm going to have Mobley. And then I'll have Coloco, Foster, Travion, and Kofi Coburn. I think that's very fair. That's certainly fair. And I understand the, the hesitations on, on why Travion goes up. I, I feel very alone in that regard, but I feel comfortable in it. You're, you're not alone because you know what? If you want to talk more Travion Williams, you should have Corey Tullibo back on the show because he is a massive Travion Williams fan. I'll have to hit him. You're not up. alone. Yeah. Nathan, informative for me. I think helpful for all of us in this space, but as we get closer to the draft, I want to keep having conversations like this of positional groupings, because that's going to help set the board more than anything to make sure that when we bring all of these positional groupings together, we know how to tier them, how to order them and set everything forward from there. Thank you so much for coming on before we get you out of here, Nathan, let the people know what do you got going on? What's coming up in your future? Where can everybody find you and your work? No, thank you. Thank you, coach, for having me on because these types of conversations, I mean, this is this is really formative for what we want to work on and what we want to look at with our boards and just being able to talk things out in a space like this. I might not have arrived 
at a conclusion like that if we weren't talking about some of the things that we were and looking at it the way you wanted to look at it. So you're doing an excellent um, thing with your, with your positional series here. But as always, you can find me on Twitter, very simple, at DraftDeeper. Subscribe to the DraftDeeper podcast wherever you get your podcasts and go check out No Ceilings nba.com we're pumping out content over there monday through friday every single week so definitely keep an eye out for that if you want to skewer our latest composite big board please go ahead check that out go go skewer that up fantastic work by nathan by the entire draft deeper community you guys are are setting the bar uh, for us to continue to try and chase and uh really privileged that we we have this relationship with each other to continue trying to uh, to just progress things forward in the draft space here. For all the listeners out there, again, make sure you follow Nathan on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Follow any of their work. Uh, always feel free to subscribe to our channel at Adam Spinella on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. And kindly, if you made it all the way through this, uh, this nine big man podcast, give us a rating. Uh, leave a comment for us anywhere you find your podcast. And uh, as always, want to leave you with a reminder to hashtag ban the take foul.